because it's the healing in nations and talking about death and hurt and, and all kinds of different things in, in chapter 22. So I'm trying to figure out. Bringing, it brought me to think that there's something about this new heavenly new heaven and earth that we're not fully understanding. So I have to, and I've never never thrown out at me the way it did this you know on Saturday when I was first looking at it, and I just have not been able to find any satisfactory answers. And well, I don't like to teach something if I'm not satisfied. I can't teach. Well, I finally, teach it. Finally, heard a couple times too, which I never realized that they're thinking that I. Now thinking not, I never thought of this way that the new heaven is the earth. Yes, it, it, very clearly that. So it is. Yeah, this is one of the reasons when I talk to Jehovah's oh, Witnesses, okay. I don't argue with them about okay. us living oh. on earth for eternity, because okay. it's very clear. Isaiah talks about it. Ezekiel I, talks yeah. about it. Uh, so it's very clear that we will have some existence on this earth. I disagree with them that there will be no entrance into heaven and only a very small See, handful. I was agreeing on all that because then when, when, I, when we were reading it, I said, well, maybe I was wrong. Yeah. I disagree with them that only 144,000 yeah, have access yeah. to heaven and, and all of that. Um, but I'm not going to disagree with them that a good part of heaven is on earth because this last chapter goes in it. Isaiah has several. I've been studying the Isaiah chapters, I mean, all quotes and chapters on it. Uh, but both, uh, but everything that talks about the new heaven and earth also talks about some form of rule, so uh, Isaiah and, and kingship. And and Isaiah says that if a person doesn't, you know, is only a hundred, uh, dies at a hundred, they're cursed and that, and they're still a youth. So the more I've dug into it, the more questions I have. So I need to get some answers before I'm ready to teach this last chapter. So I'm sorry to you all that we're not doing chapter 22 today. That's all right. I have just run out of time because this is the first time I've really had to dig into something in a long time. So because usually I've dealt with it at some time in the past and all these things did not stand out to me in the past. And all of a sudden they have. So now I've got to go find some answers, which means I'm going to go look at some of the pastors that I listen to, see what they do, go into a lot more <coughs> commentaries, and I very rarely look at commentaries, so now look at a lot of scripture. Uh, but there's obviously something about this new heaven and earth that I have never considered and, and not picked up before. Well, that really makes it different for me now. You know, because I was... We're not going to go as far as Jehovah's Witnesses oh, and no, say no, 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 heaven's no, no, no. not available no, and all of that. No, but no, no, I just never thought the earth would be the new heaven at period. Anything anywhere God, anywhere. My answer but has always then, been anywhere God is is, but is then, heaven. Since you've been reading this on this, I'm thinking, you know, I must. I think I'm wrong because earth is going to be part of a new heaven. Part of the new heaven and earth. Yeah. And rules and and work and produce yeah, and and commerce everything seems to be part of the new heaven and earth and that part i've always kind of understood but it, it's it just kicked me in, in between the head you know that uh the tree was fear of the healing of nations and then it started talking about different other things that were cursed and 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 yeah, problem areas so the true. more i read into it with this new thinking it's like uh i've got to start analyzing and this is good it's good to have what we believe yeah. challenged and have to look it open and say, maybe I've been taught wrong, you know, taught wrong and I've believed wrong. And, and this is why I say we want to be very careful when reading scriptures because a lot of times we read it the way we have been taught to read it. Okay, and we're told this is what it means, so we don't really question what, you know, we may get a question in our mind saying, well, that doesn't sound like what I've been taught, but then we kind of throw it aside because we've been taught a certain way so long that we just read it the way we were taught. I guess I just kind of, like, went over my head. I was thinking, okay, then heaven's going to be up. Then heaven is not going to be, like, this is going to be gone. But it does make sense. It really, really, yeah. and, it, and that's good. That is cool. I like that. <laughs> I have no problem with it being there. The question when that I have is, I, who are these other people that are only going to live, you know, that I if they die at 100 years them. old yeah. are, are considered young, so... I, I have some ideas, but I'm going to have to really dig down into it to kind of think about <laughs> what exactly is going on here. So uh, yeah, I'm just not prepared to make in statement, and I don't want to pass over something that. Well, all right, anybody have a question? Otherwise, we'll go to something I had kind of thought about. But you know, if you have a question, let well, me know. So. I have a question. Mm -hmm. and this is basic. I've, when I got witness to, the lady said, 
do you believe in Jesus Christ? Well, when I witnessed, I said, are you a believer? And then I get, believe in what? And I said, Jesus Christ. But you have a good opening. Uh, Ryan, just, is that a good thing to say? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Or should I just, you know, you No matter what you're having to do, you're going to have to define what you're talking about. Because when you say, do you believe in Jesus to a Jehovah's Witness, they believe in Jesus. He's just not the Son of God. That's why I say, are you a believer? Uh, but believe in what? That's then it opens. Yeah. So, like that's a probing question. I, I don't. I don't like. Do, are you a believer? Because that you know, I would. I really like. Are you a Christian? That's what I'm going to ask. But you. even then, you have to. In this day and age, no matter what word you use, you to. you're going to have to go through and define what that word is. Because when somebody tells me they're a Christian, my next question: What does that mean to you? You know, and you would hear people say, well, I, well, of course I'm a Christian. I'm an American. Okay. Or, uh, you know, and that literally was what, you know, it was almost like, you know, I'm a Muslim. I live in, I live in Syria or I live in Saudi Arabia. Of course I'm a Muslim. You know, and it used to be very much, you know, of course I'm a Christian. I live in America. All, all Americans are Christians. And so, you know, now we're getting people who you say, are you a Christian? And you're going to find out, well, you know, you get some dumb answer like my my dad was a was a was a preacher. What that does that mean? mean? That doesn't mean that he's a Christian. Yeah, well, you know, that doesn't mean that you're anything. It just yeah. means your dad was a was a preacher. I don't. That you still didn't even tell me what he preached. To open it up is pretty much anything that you can do to open it up. I like. Are you are you a Christian? Um, a lot of people will open up. Well, do you go to church? I'm not a big fan of that one because it's emphasizing the church rather than God. Uh, I prefer, are you a Christian myself? Um, you know, something that can work with uh, what, you know, what do you think happens after you die is not a bad way to no, open, I, open up a conversation. Well, even at God, you have a problem because what God? Yeah. When Paul was on Mars Hill with all these idols up there, you know, yeah, he's gone. Yeah, he went to the unknown God. He goes, yeah. you know, I see that you are a religious people. You know, you even have this, this you know, idol, this uh, altar to the unknown God. Let me tell you about this God because he's the one, you know, and he, and, he, and he taught him about who God is. Most important thing, and I've been through, oh, probably a dozen different evangelism classes on how to evangelize. And each one of them wants you to use their way and their way only mm -hmm. for whatever reasons because they spent money you know trying to advertise their way but over the years what I have ended up doing is I mix and, and blend them together I almost always use the Roman road uh, which is real simple uh, Romans 323 for the for all of sin to come short of the glory of God Romans 623 the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life yeah. uh, Romans 5 8 uh, that's a longer one huh that's that long one uh, God commanded his love toward us while we get sinners Christ died for us and then you go into anyone uh, Romans uh, 10 10 uh, 8 9 and 10 where it yeah, says that's, that's you know, that it talks about whosoever shall call upon yeah. the name of the Lord shall be saved so usually I work those four points into just about everything for years the the old four spiritual laws were were the big thing you showed in this little booklet you know and it basically the same things we're all sinners we can't do it you know one thing nice about the four spiritual laws if you remembered it is they show this great big chasm man on one side God on the other and it says you can't cross this chasm and it says that most people the next one was that most people try to use their works and the works always go like a little ways or a long ways into the chasm but never cross the chasm and then they would put the cross in there to show that Jesus was the only way. Uh, all these things are great. I mean, they're very good. Uh, Crawford has, uh, uh, Ray Comfort has a whole series on, on evangelism, and, and I've used a lot of his material because it's good, good material. When somebody says, well, I hope I'm good enough to, to go to heaven, you come back with, you know, well, you know, God is the perfect judge. It's, you know, and then we go into the statement that I have used with people if, if who do you who do you like you know who's your the person you love the most and most people will say their mother you know well if your mother was killed by some guy you know brutally killed by some guy the police arrested him he stood up in front of the judge and the and he said to the judge you know hey I'm a really good guy I just made this one mistake and the judge said okay I'll let you go is that a good judge or a bad judge there's not a person in the world that's going to say that that was a good judge doing what he was supposed to and then people will go God is a good judge <laughs> he's not going to let 
evil. I mean, so the the key to this is pretty much learn ways to that God can show you how to answer and just be ready to use whatever it is that God gives you to use in the middle of the situation because I like it when God puts his words in my mouth. Like and that's even the best way that's God the best way. God put you know, yeah. but you've got to in, but you do want to have something in your mind oh, yeah. so oh, that yeah. you're ready to go. He won't usually put words in our mouth <laughs> if we have made no provision to try to, well, he knows me to learn. I know it, but I just don't know how to say it right. rightfully, you know, the proper way. Right, and that's, and that's why I say I know all these different ways and procedures, and I'll mix and match them and everything, but the, the key to any gospel presentation is that we give them the gospel. We are sinners. We deserve punishment. Jesus paid for it. We accept it. And then give them, give them the opportunity. Do you want to accept him as your Lord and Savior? Uh, for years, the big, big question is, you know, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? Okay. And that was a thing that a lot of people would use. And it's a good starting, starting line. And sometimes it's just a matter of listening to people and seeing where they're at. What do they say? And then responding back to them from where they're at and you know you get somebody who believes in reincarnation you know yeah and you let them talk about it a little yeah. bit and they go okay well what's your authority for you know yeah. for the idea of reincarnation and they'll tell you some some book or some movie or whatever but usually it's one of the middle eastern asian books and then you say because you listen to them they'll usually listen to you give them the gospel usually not always but a lot of times if you've listened to them they will listen to you this is why it's important for us to, to study, get to know, but always, it doesn't, you know, the, and I've said this over and over, the most important thing that we have is we want to give them the gospel, and the gospel doesn't matter who we're talking to. If they don't believe the Bible, it still doesn't matter. I'm still going to quote the verses to them and give them the gospel from the Bible because God's word doesn't return void, and it's a great way. You know, well, I don't believe that book. Well, you know what? It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Here's the truth. <laughs> Truth will win out in the long run, and if you've listened to many people tell their tell their uh, their testimony, a lot of times they'll say that sometimes something they said, even though they didn't believe it, haunted them. It just stuck in their mind and reverberated and reverberated, and they would be thinking, "What if they're right?" <laughs> you know, and that and that is one of Crawford's way of preaching the gospel. You know, uh, well, well, I don't believe that your Christianity is right. And I go, oh, "Okay, that's fine." If you're right and, and I and I am wrong, I have not lost anything. But what if what if I'm right and you're wrong? Okay, and I've used that with people because, for as far as I'm concerned, I know there's a heaven. But if for some bizarre reason there's not a heaven out there after this world, I have led a very peaceful, very very serene life, and I have lost nothing. If this was all there is, I've lost nothing. And so I can say I'm not. I'm at peace. I don't. What if I'm right and you're wrong? You've got a, you've got torment for for the rest of your eternity. Now is that a great argument? Not necessarily, but it makes them think. It makes them think. Uh, if I was the logical one with it being used, I'd go. Well, I don't really care what you know, <laughs> you know. But for certain people, it's a very good argument. Okay. If you're right and I'm wrong. I've lost nothing, but what if I'm right and you're wrong? You're, you, right. you're headed for hell. And it's one of those things, like you said, stick in your mind, and once maybe they're facing their mortality, it becomes... More, more real. Yeah. Where they watch somebody facing their mortality and seeing, especially if they watch somebody who's dying, and the terror in their eyes when they die, or the peace in their eyes when they die. Anything else? Well, I'm going to just take a quick look at Genesis 11, kind of the opposite side of where, where we're been. Well, if anybody has any other questions, we'll, we'll deal with those too. So. so after the flood, um, verse 1, and the whole earth was one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found the plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly, and they, and they had brick for stone and slime for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto, he unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we should be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower and the children of the men builder builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people are one, 
and they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Let us go down and confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of the earth, and they were left off to build the city. Therefore the name of it was called Babel, because the Lord there did confound the language of the earth. From thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. We think about this as the one thing that, they, that was told to Adam and Eve from the very beginning was, go multiply yeah. and fill the face of the earth. <laughs> okay, that was man's job, was to go all across the country. And the very first thing that they did after they got off the ark was to try to stay in one place. <laughs> And that was never God's intention. Still isn't. And, and uh, we're going to draw this back as we get look at this. But he says, you know, the whole earth was one language and in one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found the, a plain in the land of Shinar. Does anybody know where Shinar is? Shinar has been mentioned many times in the Bible. It was mentioned in Revelation where we talked about it in about chapter 6 or 7. In, it's Babylon, basically. It's that whole area right there above the of the Tigris and Tigris River, Shinar, uh, and Babylon. And the city of Babylon is right on the edge of the Shinar, uh, further further up there. Oh yeah, yeah, there you go. So Shinar plays a big a big part of it. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It says that Nebuchadnezzar built his image in the valley of Shinar. <laughs> In the plain of Shinar, excuse me. All right. Just want to get you this whole idea. This area has been infamous from the beginning <laughs> of Scripture and is infamous all the way into Revelation where it talks about Babylon being rebuilt in, in the plain of Shinar. Okay. And so we have the people traveling from the east to come into Shinar. Now, having said that, there's a belief that the ark that the ark rests in Turkey, in the mountains of, that we call Ararat. The only problem with that thought is that it's, too, it's north of Shinar and not, not directly east. So it, uh, or from the east, okay? It says they came, they journeyed from the east, which means that you have to go somewhere further east of Shinar to find where the ark, ark is located, not northwest in, of it. So just bring that out as a kind of a thought so that, you know, you know these are little things when we read the scriptures that we kind of, we get told one thing, and when we start looking at what the Bible tells us, we've kind of come up with a totally different India, direction of India is more, <laughs> more correct, and there's a whole bunch of mountains between uh, Middle East and India, so it's probably in those mountains somewhere over there. But I've also told people I don't believe that the ark exists anywhere anymore because when they first landed and trees haven't grown very big and you needed building materials and you have this big boat made out of wood, I believe you're going to go destroy your boat because <laughs> you don't need the boat anymore. There's no more floods. So I, would, I believe that they destroyed the, the, the ark to make make their houses, which makes sense to me. Uh, you need a house quickly, um, unless they knew how to make brick, which is possible. You know, make brick out of mud and, and, and all of that. They could have done that. But I've always believed that they destroyed the ark and made, made houses out of it to live in. Now, again, I have no proof of that, but it just, to me, it makes common sense. You've got yeah. this whole bunch of wood sitting there. It's already planed and everything. You just take and make a house. What, what, land, what continent did the um, ark land at? I don't know. Oh, so I mean, no, I mean, where? Oh, so that it landed on the mount in, on Mount Ararat, right, right. the mountains of Ararat. And just because we name things the same <laughs> thing does not necessarily right. mean that it was. Uh, the same thing when people look at the rivers Euphrates and Tigris and all of that, they immediately say that's where the Garden of Eden was at. I don't believe it's anywhere close to it. They floated around for a, over a year on this boat. And what do humans do when they name things? When the Europeans came into America on the East Coast, there's a River Thames over there. Why? Because it's named after the River Thames in England. 
the New York, New London, New New Connecticut. Uh, so really, nobody really knows. Nobody knows because everything changed. Everything changed. Is it possibly that it was there? That is possible. I don't, but I'm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't make any de decisions on that. The whole face of the earth changed drastically when you, when you put it completely underwater and have mud running around all over the place, and start all over. All all they could have come down and saw this river that looked big. It looked like the Euphrates that they were thinking of and saying, "That looks a lot like the Euphrates River. We're going to call it." The Euphrates, that, you know, oh, that one kind of goes in the right direction. It looks like the Tigers. We'll call it the Tigers. The only problem with them trying to say that the Fertile Crescent is the same place in there and they, is that there's two missing rivers. Okay, so, you know, uh, you can't have just the two that survived the flood somehow and miss the other two that, that Genesis talks about. So they just named it after what they, the names that they were used to calling these rivers and, and stuff. So... Uh, and then we're just throwing things out. This is going to be kind of an eclectic uh, thing as we throw things out to, out there. But they, they found it, and they said, let us make brick and this building. This tower they were trying to do, they were trying to reach God. And it's just another example of man trying to do something that would reach God. Now, God knew that they couldn't build a tower into heaven. I mean, it's... But you look at what he's saying is they all have one language. It, it's just a matter of time before they continue to, to do evil. And we know through other places that Babylon is the capital that Nimrod ruled out of. And Nimrod was the first great king of the world. And he was a very violent and cruel man. He was a hunter. And basically people think he meant literally not just a hunter of animals, but a hunter of people, uh, you know, and that he had slaves and everything. But God came down and he said, I want to divide man and scatter them. So he gave them different languages. Now for us, we don't think twice about different languages. When we hear different languages, you know, we may even understand a few words of different, lang you know, different languages, but we're used to it. Can you imagine everybody has been speaking the same language <laughs> You're working next to somebody that you've been talking to all day, all week, all month, all year, however long it is that they've been building this thing, and all of a sudden you can't understand a word they're saying. Okay? You have no idea of different languages. You have no concept of different words for different things. We at least have that concept. When we meet somebody that we can't understand, we realize that they're speaking a different language. A different language. Can you imagine how freaked out the people got? <laughs> you're, you're standing there saying, uh, give me this hammer, and they're asking you what you want for lunch in another language. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, and you don't know how, and we kind of can work our way through realizing that they're speaking legibly. You have no concept of what a different language is. You have no, yeah. you know, nothing to you. They're just, all of a sudden, they went insane. Yeah, it's like. Okay. And they think you're insane. <laughs> You want to talk about probably abandoning a project very quickly. <laughs> very quickly. You know, I'm going to get away from all these crazy, insane people that, you know, I don't know what's wrong with them, but, uh, you know, they're, they're something, you know, they're, they're demon-possessed or something, you know. They're demon-possessed. They're, they're babbling. I don't know what they're, you know, what's going on. You know, you're going to get away from them as fast as you can. You're going to find the handful of people that you can talk to, and you're going to get probably when you realize that it's widespread, you're probably going to be getting as far away from here as you possibly can. And that spread, the, spread people around the world. And it was quite interesting. There's all kinds of wonderful studies, if you really get into it, studies on how people moved and, 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 trend, and, and moved around and how right after the flood you had these places, the cold winds and everything that were being developed and toxic, you know, uh, we have the woolly mammoths that were frozen almost instantly while, while food was still in their, in their stomachs. And there's some great explanations on how all that happened that are coming out. And we see all of these, these things and people were scattered. God scattered us on purpose. He separated our languages on purpose. What are we doing in today's world? Today's world, we're moving away from the, away from the countryside into cities being drawn together and we pretty much have overcome the language barrier 
Okay, not that every single person can talk to every single person, but we have interpreters in every language. If you have a cell phone or a computer, you can get a program where you type in what you want to say and it will either make it into a spoken language for them to hear or at least they can read and they can type their language in and you can interpret it back. So the language has now been totally neutralized. We are by choice putting ourselves in cities and trying to make a one world government. Okay, God broke it all up in the beginning because he said this is bad. <laughs> and we as a human race are trying to bring back what things were like before Babel. And the religion that Babel had is what is the religion that they're trying to go to. The ancient mystery Babylon religion is what is being, has been the, the underlying current for all the false religions for all the time and is where if you start looking at the one world religious ideas, they're all based in this mentality. What God destroyed and broke up Satan is bringing back together here at the end times. And it's kind of amazing when we see this. You know, we, we look at the beginning and say, God said this was bad, he broke it up, and we see man bringing it all back together again. One language, bring everybody back together, put them all under one government. Nimrod was not a nice man. He was, he was brutal. He, he, put, he made people into slaves, basically. And here we're trying to bring everybody back under this idea of a one-world government that can solve all the problems and it's kind of funny if you go to a college you know colleges you'll hear this kind of stuff you know it's the borders that are the problem if we just had one government and one person running everything we'd be okay that's not what history says but that but they are absolutely convinced that history doesn't matter and this is why i love what god put in here at the very beginning he he has what they're trying to get back to that he said was bad and so, you know, I just bring this out because I, I think a lot about this. And as I watch, and especially as we've been studying the end times, it's how we're returning back to what God said was not a good, good thing. And, you know, this is why when I say we study the Bible, we see all kinds of interesting things when we look. To me, the first 11 chapters of Genesis are probably the most important ones because it gives us everything. It gives us the beginning. Why, why do we have anything? God created it. Why do we have language? He created it. Why, why do we have marriage? God created it. Why do we have governments? He created it. You know, you know, everything is the beginnings of every cardinal doctrine in the scripture are here. Why did Jesus have to come? Because of the sin of the people. And he said that Jesus would come and, and crush the serpent's head and he would bruise his heel. You know, we see the beginnings of everything in Genesis. And the answer is, hold up scientifically as well. It's, it's such an amazing thing to look at the Bible and say it holds up to <coughs> criticism. It holds up to being examined. Now it doesn't hold up to the criticism that's coming out where they say it's wrong until it's proven right. Mm -hmm. But there's no ancient document that ever has to answer that except the Bible. Mm -hmm. Every other major historical document is true unless you can prove it from other ancient documents that it's wrong. Okay, when they look at Josephus, the historian, or Epiphanes, the historian, or uh, somebody begins with E, I don't remember his name, but, uh, you know, great historical histories, they are correct unless they find a preponderance of ev evidence saying that they had an axe to grind or, or something, you know. So you go, it is the correct book unless it's proven otherwise. If you look at ancient histories like the Homer and the Iliad, nobody questions whether they were are the correct version, even though the closest one to the original writing is some four or five hundred years down the road, and there's only 20 or 30 of them. <laughs> but nobody questions whether they're the right copy because they're ancient and, and they seem to match up very well. But they'll take the scriptures and they'll say, well, obviously the scriptures must be wrong because it's talking about God. Uh, even though thousands of pieces and of, of documentation all match up and they'll point out to, they'll point to, you know, well, there's a lot of different variants. Well, usually the variants are they forgot to put a period or something in there or they changed the spelling of the name of somebody to, to some 
you know, it's still the same name. And instead of saying John, it says Jonathan, or you know, or it has two ends and an e instead of one end. You know, in using an English, you know, but obviously they're totally different. You know, <laughs> you know, and that's how they look at it. And yet you look at it and you say, there's so much of it you know exactly what it's supposed to say. Okay, and and this is why are there variances? Well, because there's thousands and thousands of copies of it. And some of it's going to have a little misspelling error, but you still know what it means. Uh, well, I was reading a book where this one guy said as a, as a test for people, he'd give them only 20 or 30 different variances of the, of the scriptures with the little errors in every one of them. And he goes, inevitably, they'd come up with the right interpretation because they'd compare everything and saying, well, 10 of them said this word, and this one's close, so it must mean <laughs> this word. And with thousands of them, we can be very sure that we have a proper interpretation of the scriptures. I don't know how I got on that one, but it's... <laughs> but God is out there, and he says, this is what is true. And we see the beginnings of things out there. And, this is, and then we see what the world teaches us. And it's always contrary to whatever God says. But I just wanted to kind of bring this out. You know, God put barricades in man's way. And these barricades held up for a long time. Uh, you know, we've learned how to translate in various languages up near, nearby. But it has never been that the whole world could communicate easily. We've come, a, we've come full circle. We're back to we're, we're back to the beginning to make up all the mistakes that God said we weren't supposed to make. And we have apathy. And so here we are, back to where we're going to try to reach God and whatever that means. And Satan will give us many different things to try to do to reach God, and that's what we saw in the Revelation, the false prophet, the bringing the people to worship the worship over him and say you can't buy or sell unless you're honoring him. And so we're going to see all of this. We've come a completely back to where God broke up. And man does this frequently, where he leaves God and, and does the things that God said don't do. And uh, we see right from the very beginning with Cain and Abel. Abel offered a sacrifice of blood, which was the actual sacrifice you're supposed to. What did Cain bring? All the stuff he grew from the field. Okay, and he offered that. Say, here, God, here's my works. Please accept that. And God rejected him, and then he got mad at his brother. His brother was obedient to God, and it's his brother's fault that God rejected his offering that wasn't the right offering, in his mind anyway. And yet we see all through the scriptures, and even today, man trying to do things his and her way. Well, God, I want to do it my way, and you're going to and I expect you to accept my, my choices. And if you haven't heard it from somebody you've been witnessing to, you probably will. Well, you know, who are you to say my way is wrong? Well, God says it's wrong in the Bible. You know, well, what, you know, who is he, you know, who is that God to tell me that I can't do things the way I want to? We see it even in, the, in our world. Marriage is becoming very cynical to people. You know, they all want to do it their way. God says, get married, cleave to that person, for, you know, leave your family and cleave to that person. And one of the pastors this morning was saying, you know, in our day, they're doing it the opposite way. They're cleaving to the individual to see if they want to leave. They're, you know, leave that lifestyle, you know, cleave, cleave to the person, try out the marriage before it, be, without a marriage certificate until you find out whether this is a good thing or not, and then, and then leave. Well, we know that that doesn't work because every marriage is going to have problems. And unless you've decided to leave your current family, become a new family the way God said to, you have no incentive to work through the hardships. You know, the idea of being married and, and joining yourselves together gives you that desire to work through, or used to before, we, before the government decided you could just get married for any, uh, get divorced for just any reason under the sun. You know, before it used to be, it had to be adultery for many, many, many generations. And that's what God said. And then it gives you that incentive. I've got to try to work this out. You know, otherwise, I'm going to be miserable the rest of my life. So I better try to <laughs> get God in this and, and work things out. And it all it's all runs in cycle. Anybody who's been married any number of years knows that it runs in cycles. And, I, and I've said it myself. There's times when you're still very much emotionally in love and, 
and you just love each other and then there are times when you're just kind of in a steady place and then there's sometimes when you look at each other and say who is this person in my house and why are they here you know and that's when most places most families break up and get divorced they're in that low spot where they say who is this person why are we together i can't stand them anymore and if you just wait a, you know a year two years you know you're back to at least an even keel where it's okay i you know i i do like this person and it's worth having them around <laughs> and then there's you go to the place where you've got that inforic <laughs> you know we're really in love and and the fire's burning again and and you go back around the cycle again <laughs> but humans want to do it their way <laughs> let's let's see if we really are compatible and really sad thing about it is people who live together first and then get married have a higher rate of divorce than those who just got married without living together. Because that trial run doesn't do anything because you know during that trial run you're still kind of on your best behavior because you're trying to make things work. Yeah, one to five years is the hardest. Well, because people are married for the wrong reasons. Uh, Seven. But Seven years. When you get together and you say, I'm going to get married, I'm making a commitment, there's a desire to keep things, keep things together. And, it's, and you work on it and see the people who are on best behavior for a few years, like they live together, then they get married and what happens when you get married? You kind of stop courting each other. You stop being on your better behavior. And even those who are living together, they may not be on as good a behavior as when they were courting, but they don't ever go back to, they don't usually drop down to being the, who they really are. They stay somewhat on their good behavior because that person can, can leave you at any time that, you know, because there's nothing holding you together. And then when they get married, they totally change to this, you know, I don't, you're going to see the real me. And, and they ended up, you know, going, hey, I don't like the real you. You know, I want that, I want that person that has been living with me for the last seven years. And we end up, everything that we try to do our way never works. You know? And we're seeing the schools now, and like the business schools, trying to teach you business ethics. And unfortunately, most of the teachers who teach it don't know what ethics are in the first place. Uh, no, just teaching you what's right and supposedly teaching you what's right and wrong, but their view, their view of right and wrong isn't God's view of right and wrong. And their view is better than what people are doing out there in the first place. It's a lot of this how to stay out of jail and how to stay out of trouble. But the problem is we're saying God gives us rules and ethics and morals. We teach people that there's no right or wrong. Then we wonder why they misbehave and do things that are wrong. And then we try to teach them what right and wrong when, when we've been teaching them that there is no right or wrong. It, this, it makes no sense. There is no, you know, especially when you're in the, high, the college area. They're heavily into there is no right and wrong, and then you have to take these ethic classes in business and 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 uh, medical and these different places are doing ethics classes, right in the midst of telling you in every other class that there's no right and wrong. Yeah, but there is, yeah, when, when they take the other classes. And so you're sitting here, okay, is this one right or is my other five teachers right? Well, you're gonna well one to five. I think the five probably are right. You know, plus plus I like what they're saying because of the mixed up messages we're ending up with mixed up people no right or wrong is what they're taught and yet in their, their their in their brain they know there's right and wrong and they know that there's right and wrong but they're being taught that there's no right and wrong and they're trying to live with what they're being taught and their and their brain is telling them no that's wrong you can't do that and so there's a real confusion there because of what the world teaches i can't believe they would be teaching that Oh, it's been taught. It was taught when you were in elementary school. You're old enough to know in elementary school and high school they yeah, didn't do but, that. Yeah, but we were taught to right and wrong, not... You had the In our early days, we did have the, the bulk of the world trying to teach us that there was right and wrong, and the schools were trying to teach us that there weren't. And the famous one is that probably everybody in this class had it sometime was the lifeboat example. You're in a lifeboat, and there's only enough supplies for, for six of you, seven of you to live. Who do you, who do you get rid of? Okay, and, and saying that we we're going to share the supplies and all die together was not a valid answer, even though that would have been God's answer. Okay, you had to decide which one of you was the least valuable and get rid of them. Okay, and that was their example. 
and that's how they taught. Basically, they were saying who's the weakest or the least, the one who least valuable to yeah. you. You know, uh, and so God says you're all of value no matter what, and so you all will suffer, and that you will pray for your deliverance before all your supplies run out. And they were saying you'll get rid of somebody, but that mentality over years has been developed to people that. And they've expanded it now to there's no right or wrong. It's whatever you think is right is right. Whatever I think is right is right. And if I think it's wrong, I can't impose my wrong on you. You can't impose your wrong on me. And I can't impose my right on you. you know, this is what the world's being taught. You, know, you are God. You decide what's right and wrong. And then they criticize the person who decides to be violent. Because they decide, well, he was wrong. You know, we'll call him wrong. Yeah. Uh, but yet we're also teaching him evolution, survival of the fittest. The rules of evolution, whoever's strongest can do whatever they feel yeah, like survive, doing yeah. to survive. And if that means they want to brutalize everybody else because, and they're strong enough to get away with it, there is nobody who can say they're wrong because that's survival there's, of the fittest. Because they're the strongest. Because they're the strongest. Hitler, Hitler went to the extreme on survival of the fittest and, and evolution and said, the Aryan race is the strong and everybody else has to die. He started with the Jews and, and the gypsies, but if, if he had ever gotten control of things, he would have gone to the next, next weakest one and kept going until he had only the Aryan race left and probably then would have decided some of them weren't weak, you know, strong enough to survive. Because that would have been the whole evolution being worked out. The weak die. If you're strong enough to make people die, they deserve to die. Okay, that's evolution. Okay, and that is what you know. That is the teaching of evolution, and it is kind of what we see in what we would call microevolution, which actually is true. The weak die. When the when the pack of uh, lions go to hunt the herd of uh, uh, antelope, they go after the slowest, weakest ones, and the weak, slow, weak ones die. The strong. <laughs> The strong, healthy ones live. The weak ones don't pass on their genetic imperfections to the herd, and the herd as a whole gets stronger. And so we see micro, the, the lowest level microevolution is true. But we don't want to apply it to humanity. You know, humans are one that will protect the weak, at least through the biblical way. And this is why as Christianity spread across the Roman Empire, they really thought Christians were weak. The Romans thought Christians were weak because they would help the poor. They would help the unhealthy. They, they developed hospitals. They developed orphanages. And the Roman mindset, you know, you're a sickly baby, kick, throw them out the door. They don't deserve the food because they're not going to live. You know, you're, you're a kid and you don't have, you know, you're a boy and you don't have muscles and you're going to be picked on. You can't, you can't go out and fight. You kicked out of the house and, and die. It didn't matter to them. You got sick and you... Kept getting sicker, you got kicked out of the house. You were a drain on the finances. So I'm kind of a little bit like what we're into today. You know, you know, don't want the children, so we're going to get, instead of waiting until they're born to get, kill them, you know, the Romans would let them be born and throw them in the river. Okay, they, they did a post-abortion, post you, know, uh, you know, oh, it's a girl, get rid of it. <laughs> you know, that was the mindset of them. And Christianity came along and saying, no, we're all created in God's image. We need to help one another. And the, the Romans looked at that as a terrible weakness. You know, you're just so weak, you're caring for the, you know, the, the ones who can't supply themselves. You know, what's wrong with you? And we're having that same mentality now. You know, you're getting old, you're going you're gonna to be a drain on your kids' kids's finances. You're going you're gonna to drain all of, your, all of the kids' inheritance and maybe even your kids' inheritance. You, sh you deserve to die. You know, and we're seeing that happen. You, you know, the, the killing of the aged because they're a drain on the society. And we're going, and we think we're, we think we're being modern about it, but we're going back to what was done before Christianity. You, know, you did not live to be an old age because you didn't, you didn't want to be a drain on your family. You wanted to die in battle. You wanted to, to die doing something glorious so that at least people would remember you. You didn't want to be stuck on your bed, you know, making somebody take care of you. And, and wasting your, your, your kids' inheritance. The same, same arguments they use now, that was there. You, and you expected to die when you got old because you didn't want to drain off all your... We see a returning back to the wickedness that happened before Christianity changed the world. And, and for most of us, we don't fully understand how much Christianity changed the world.
because we don't know our history. And if we really understood it, we would see everything that we're going back to as Christianity wanes and loses its, loses its reputation and, and power, we see everything going back to the way it was. And we all think it's, you know, people nowadays go, well, look, we're just so modern. We're going, we have just advanced so far that we're doing these things, you know, for, for loving kindness of our, of our families. We don't want them burdened with a kid they don't want. We don't want them burdened with a parent that's lived beyond their useful life. Well, they stop that assisted suicide. They don't do that. Where? It's still Dr. done. Dr. Kevorkian's. No, it's, he, he only got stopped because he did it in states where it wasn't allowed. And if you live in Oregon, don't get old. If you live in, if you live in uh, uh, Amsterdam, don't get old. You, you live in most of Europe, don't get old. Because <laughs> if your family thinks you've outlived your usefulness, they will, you will die. And more and more states are, are following that kind of law that says if somebody's not productive, you might as well you know, allow them to kill themselves because it's the humane thing to do. Just kind of was using chapter 11 of Genesis to show how we're really coming full circle, where Christianity is losing its influence over the world, and as it loses its influence over the world, we're returning to the evil that has already been there. Which takes us back to Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. Everything that has been, has been, is, or will be again. So, you know, all of the stuff going on is coming back. If you really want to know what, what's coming on in our future, go back into history and look what used to happen, and you'll see where we're headed. The brutality, the the vengeance, the all of the stuff that goes on. God has made things easier and easier for people to live, and we're seeing it move further and further away from God back to the things he said not to do. Study history, study the scriptures, see what God said not to do and see where we're headed and you'll see big pictures of where, where we're headed. Um, you know, Rome, Rome was famous for its uh, theater and its, and its battle scenes and everything. You know, we've been getting vicarious through television where it's supposedly not real in many cases. In, in Rome it was real, but you also know that People are insatiable. They want more and more reality. And at some point, even our television probably is going to get real death, real battles, so that people will see what they want because that has always happened in every civilization. They start out civilized and work their way to brutal. And people get more and more desire, and it's the way sin is. Sin is never satisfied staying where it's at. It has got to give demand more. There was a group trying to prevent boxing in the United States because of the brutality yeah. of stuff and the fixing of the fights. Yeah, they're doing the same thing with all other sports that have brutality, but they're going to lose it anyway because people, people want, want right. the violence. If, they don't, if they're not following God, they want the violence. They want the blood. They want the pain. They want the 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 hurting and uh, and then when the sport itself is not violent enough they'll want it to the next level level because yeah. you look at wrestling even wrestling intensifies keeps intensifying it used to be fairly real and now what they're doing is some really dumb violent stuff and you always you hear all the time about these kids trying to mimic these guys jumping off things and hitting the guy in the throat and killing them well because if you don't if it's not staged, you are gonna you don't hit somebody in the middle of the throat from four feet jump and and have them live. That's a killing killing blow. And we've seen many kids get killed duplicating their wrestlers, jumping off a chair, you know, striking them striking their you know, their buddy across the throat because that's what they saw their favorite wrestler do and they end up killing their buddy. Through history it's continued that, that we get more and more violent and it has to be more and more real to satisfy. And you see it even in our movies and everything. It's appearing more and more real. Now, they haven't gotten to the point, usually, <laughs> where it is a real death that we see as far as we know. Yeah. But they have to show more and more blood. They have to show more and more violence. They have to show because people are getting jaded to it. More and more detail of it. And there will come a time when we see, just like Rome and the gladiators, where they were killing each other and trying to find new ways to dream up killing somebody so that you can be able to encourage the people to stay 
stay in That's it. That's why I don't watch Charlie TV anymore. I, yeah. like it. I think it's a good thing that we don't, you know, if you don't, it, because it's, it, it is designed to make our brains quit feeling the pain that people are going through. And we don't want that because when we get cold and hard and callous toward pain, we can see all the stuff going on. And that's the whole purpose of putting homosexuality on every single show and making it blatant so that you get calloused yeah. toward it so that when you see it in real life, it doesn't shock you as much because you've seen so much of it. Why do they show so much murder? So you get callous toward the, the violence that leads to it and, and also demand more. You know, more violence to be able to get past that callousness. More sexual explicitness to get over that callousness that they've done of showing you so much, you know, gentle stuff. And then you get into the more explicit stuff and, you know, to the very extreme. And, you know, then you get to the very violent and, and really crazy stuff that they have out there, you know. But there's a market for it because people have made themselves callous. And God is saying, don't even do that. You know, sin is never satisfied. It's something that will never be satiated. And the Proverbs tells us it's like the flame in the wood. It, it, you know, it's never enough. You can't feed a fire enough fuel to make it go out. All you do is make it bigger. Sin is the same way. Well, I just need a little bit. I've got to satisfy this. And all it does is make a larger flame and demand more fuel. And the fuel, same fuel is not what it wants more, you know, stringent, more, more explicit in it. You start out stealing with just, you know, small things. The next thing you know, you're robbing banks and you're wanting the challenge of, can I get away with something else? You know, the murderers usually don't stop at one murder, you know, they, and, it, and they just have to intensify it. I've got to take more and more challenge. And that's why they get caught a lot of times because they do dumb things because they're trying to challenge themselves and do a bigger, bigger, bigger and better. You know, we see it even in the marketplace. It's got to be bigger and better. And now we're kind of going smaller and better, but it's always got to have better in there. Something's got to be better. And sin is always looking, sin is always looking for that next step up, the next challenge, the next, the next thing that will excite the flesh. Because if you keep doing the same old thing, they get bored with it and get callous toward it, and you know, and they have to have the next, the next level. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to just look at how we are cycling back. That you knew that we would be here, and that we are cycling back into the evils of the past. And there's nothing new under the sun and you, people are getting around your roadblocks as we come toward the end days. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.